I have really two texts this morning. The first is the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, verse 6. And I just want to uh, kind of finish what I was trying to do last week and didn't get time to quit, to finish. I had to quit on the profile of faith and said last time that uh, in preaching from the book of Hebrews that faith is the reward of those who seek the Lord. He said that he who comes to God must believe that he is. That is, that he is everything he says he is. He is everything his name means. And that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The rewarder of what? Of that which we seek, which is faith. So that faith is the reward of those, for those who seek the Lord. And said before the time ran out that we, we need to seek the Lord exclusively, which means that I seek for nothing more. For to meet the Lord is all I need to meet every need. Some say, I need healing. No, I need the Lord. I need financial security. No, you need the Lord. For when you meet the Lord, you find all in all, all that's necessary. Everything else will find its way to be fulfilled. You seek first the kingdom, the song says. Seeking the Lord exclusively means that I seek for nothing more and I settle for nothing less than the Lord. Some of us on our way to seeking the Lord have settled for less than the Lord. And after I had finished point one and it was time to quit, somebody said, I wish you'd tell us how to seek the Lord. How do you seek the Lord? And so I want to try to do that this morning. And that passage is Jeremiah chapter 29, verse, verses 11 through 14. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for calamity. To give you a future and a hope. Now remember that God is addressing this word to those who are in Babylonian exile. He says, I know my plans for you. I have a glorious future and a hope for you. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations, from all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place where I sent you into exile. Now, if I can pick up where I left off, knowing that many of you here for the, were not here last Sunday, let me say point two. Point one, seek the Lord exclusively. Point two, seek the Lord earnestly. He said, you'll find me when you search for me with all your heart. The Greek word in that verse in Hebrews eleven six, 6 is the word that means to seek with everything you have. Diligently is the King James uh, addition there. 
because it's, it's inherent in the word, to, Greek word seek, to seek the Lord diligently. Your kids ever lost something? You've told them to, you know, look for it? And they kind of wander through the house, you know, kind of looking at the ceiling, you know, while they're trying to, and, and, and they'll say, well, I can't find that. It's lost. And, and, and I've said, well, you haven't looked for it. And they say, well, of course I've looked for it. I've been looking for it for, for 30 minutes. Well, what you mean is you didn't, you didn't search for it diligently. I mean, ask you a question this morning. How desperate are you to know the Lord? How desperate are you to know the Lord, to meet the Lord? For there is a correspondence between our desperation and our determination. And there is a correspondence between our determination and our faith. They are synonymous. A faith is born out of a desperation for the Lord. How desperate are you to know Him? There's a New Testament illustration or example of it. Woman with an issue of blood for 12 years. And Luke, the physician, wants us to know how desperate she was. And he said, even though he was a physician, he said she spent all she had on physicians and it didn't do her any good. For 12 years she suffered this hemorrhage. And one day there was this crowd of people, this press, a great mob of them. And she was thinking to herself as she worked her way through that crowd, I must get to the Lord. I must get to the Lord. And she let nothing stand between her, not even the press of people. And we call that faith that she just reached out to touch his garment. But, and, and Jesus said, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. But really what that was was a desperation for the Lord. She had nothing left but the Lord. She had no hope but the Lord and she was determined out of that desperation to get to Him. And a woman came one day, a Syrophoenician woman, a Gentile, to Jesus and said, I have a daughter that's ill, would you heal her? He said, it's not right to give the bread, the children's bread to the dogs. What he was talking about was his own ministry for he had come primarily to minister to the Jews, the children of God. He says, not right to give this bread of the children of God to Gentile dogs. And the woman didn't say, well, excuse me, I'm sorry, uh, uh, I apologize. She said, well, even the dogs get the crumbs from the master's table. And Jesus said, daughter, your faith has healed, has, has brought healing to your daughter. I've not seen faith like that in all of Israel. What, she, what he meant was there was a faith that was born out of desperation, a determined faith that got to him. How desperate are you to know the Lord? Now I've done a little research lately in biblical research on what it, how you seek the Lord. I think I've got some answers, some clues. This is how you seek the Lord. First of all, you be still. You be still. Now I want you to look with me at the 46th Psalm. Everybody needs to turn to that 46th Psalm. I want to show you something. It's familiar to some of you. The 46th Psalm. While you're turning, let me just start out with it. He says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. We'll not fear. Though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake 
at its swelling pride. In the Bible, mountains are, are pictures, are illustrations of those things which are secure. I mean, you'd expect mountains to always be there. And they picture, the Bible uses the mountains as illustrations of those things that never change. And here in this psalm, he's describing this remarkable event. Even mountains are moving. There are some of you here this morning who have felt that those things that you've always counted on to be there are, are disappearing or are, 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 are gone. And you're witnessing perhaps in your own life the example of Psalm 46. Even those things you felt most secure are changing and passing. And the storms are coming and the, and the waters are roaring. And it's a time of crisis in the lives of some of you. What do you do in a situation like that? Well, normally, that's a time to take over. It's a time to take charge. The psalmist said, when you see everything coming loose, then be still. What a strange bit of advice. My father was like that. Grew up out on a farm and occasionally there come these thunderstorms in the spring of the year. I mean, it sounded like everything's going to blow away. My sister and I would look out the window sometime and the, the trees at the back of our house, would, the tops of them be touching the ground. You know, Daddy would be asleep. Make me so mad, so angry. My mother would go in and wake him up and she'd say, Buck, what do you think we ought to do? And he'd go check it out. He'd look about five seconds. He'd say, well, I'm going back to bed. I'd be so angry. You know, well, it's time to do something. Let's head for the cellar. Let's get out of here. Let's, let, let's take charge here. He'd just say, you know, let's be still. It's an un-American activity. It's something that we've never learned to be still. The psalmist said, if you want to know the Lord, if you want to meet the Lord, you've got to be still. Cease striving, he said. In the midst of all these things that are happening to you that seem like everything is changing and the crisis has come and your life is being threatened and you, and you need the Lord, this is the way you find him. Be still. Secondly, you be silent. Now, how is it possible to seek the Lord? Why are we saying that in order to meet the Lord, you have to be still and be silent? Well, the answer is simple. Because you never will meet the Lord unless He lets you meet Him. He said in Jeremiah, I will be found. And there's a difference between finding the Lord and the Lord being found. I will be found. What, what God is saying is, you're never going to know me unless I let you know me. And the only things you're ever going to know about God are the things He reveals to you. And He cannot reveal Himself to you as long as you're anxious as long as you're doing all the talking, as long as you're doing all the activity. You've got to be still and silent before God can make Himself known to you. The only things you'll ever know about God are the things He lets you know. There's an interesting event in the life of Jesus. He went down, to the, down into the Garden of Gethsemane. It was the night of His betrayal. And, the, and John says a cohort... That's a Roman regiment of over 600 soldiers came down the Kidron Valley and went over to the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest him. And, and John wants us to be sure and understand what is happening. He says, this regiment of 600 soldiers had torches. It was like daylight in the middle of the night. 
And he said, Judas was also with them. And when they got to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus came from the innermost garden and came out to where they were, right out in the broad open light of the torches, where John says again, Judas was also with them. And he asked them, who are you seeking? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. Why didn't they say, we're after you, man. We've come to arrest you. We've come to get you. Because they didn't recognize him. That's why they didn't say that. Now, Jesus was the most public figure for three years. Judas had lived with him for three years, and they didn't recognize him in the broad open light of 600 torches. Why? Because God didn't let them recognize him. You don't discover the Lord. You don't know the Lord except what he reveals to you, and you have to be still and silent in order for that to happen. Now, I want to say something this morning. I believe what, I believe, what, I, what I'm about to say is, is at the heart of so many of our problems as Christians. We have never learned, we have never learned to be silent and listen to God. If I were to, if Jesus were to tell you this morning that there was just one thing that was really necessary, would you believe him? Huh? I didn't hear. If Jesus said, there is one thing that is really necessary. Would you believe him? Yes. Let me tell you what that one thing is. In the 10th chapter of Luke, and I was going to, I read it in that first sermon. Let me just tell you where it is and you read it later. The 10th chapter of Luke, verse 38, Jesus and his disciples come to a place to the house of Mary and Martha. You know that story. Martha was cumbered about with serving and caring, and Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, what? Listening to his words, listening to Jesus. And Martha said, why don't you get Mary to help me? I'm behind in the cooking and the preparation. And Jesus said, Martha, there are just a few things that are necessary. Really, only one and Mary has found what that one necessary thing in life is. She has learned to listen to me. And in the next chapter, Jesus is on his way to, to, to be crucified in Jerusalem. And some women gathered around and they said, Wow, blessed, are, blessed is the womb that gave you birth and the, and the breast at which you nursed. In other words, they were saying, Man, it must be wonderful to have a son like you. And Jesus said, On the contrary, blessed is the one who hears my words and does them. In other words, he was saying, You can be as blessed as Mary. And this is how you do it. You learn how to listen to the Lord. God designed you in order that He could talk to you and gave you little ears to your soul in order He could talk to you. And He speaks to us through the, through the thoughts of the mind. How else would He speak to you? Now, is it true that the Holy Spirit is God? And isn't it true that God has been from the very beginning in the process of making His will known, Himself known to others, so that the Holy Spirit, God, indwelling us in order that He might talk to us. Have you heard from the Lord lately? I'm talking about meditation. You know what meditation is? Meditation is just getting God's interpretation of what's bugging us. Now let me say it again. 
Meditation is just coming to the things that trouble us and get God's interpretation of them. You know how exciting that is? Just to be silent long enough and just come to God with, with these things that are bothering us or troubling us, questions for which we have no answers, and just let God interpret them with His interpretation? That's called meditation. Have you heard from the Lord lately? Maybe the reason why you say, well, God never speaks to me, maybe it's because you're not tuned in on God. I heard a man, a guy tell about two guys on the streets in New York City. It was tons of traffic and din of noise and confusion. This guy was standing there. He said, did you hear that little bird? And called the name of it. That guy said, man, I, how do you hear a bird in all this? That guy said, well, listen, just listen. And they listened, and sure enough, they heard that bird, that little bird. And, and they got to looking around and saw it up on the side of this building. You know, why he, you know why he heard that bird in the den of traffic nobody else heard? He's tuned in on them. Peter Lord said that he had a guy one time, he, had a, 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 he was having a, a wedding reception at his house in, in Florida, and he said they were, some of the guys were kind of standing around outside the house. And he had this guy who was an entomologist. I call him an agronomist this morning, but I found out in my dictionary is an entomologist, a guy who studies bugs. And this entomologist was there with Peter Lord, and they were standing outside in the yard, and, and the guy said, uh, uh, Brother Lord, did you know you have 18 different kinds of crickets in your hedge? <laughs> said, wow, that's pretty good information, you know. 18, he said, I, you, you got 18 different kinds of crickets in your shrubs. Peter Lord said, I never knew there was but one kind of crickets. I don't give a blast about crickets, you know. And he said, that guy told me, he said, I, I can identify it with my naked ear. If that's a proper way to describe it. He said, I can identify it just by listening. He said, I can identify between 200 and 300 different kinds of crickets. The guy was an entomologist. He had his doctor's degree in entomology. He had a $250,000 research, government research program to study, to study mosquitoes. You, you, know how, you know why he recognized 18 different kinds of crickets in Peter Lord's bush? Because those crickets were vital to his, the achievement of his life goal. Now watch this. If hearing God is really vital to the achievement of your life goal, you're going to hear God. And if the reason, if you say, well, God never speaks to me, maybe it's because His will and His voice is not vital to your life goal. Because you don't have a choice as to whether or not you're going to listen to the voices of the spiritual world. You're going to either listen to God's voice or Satan's voice. You don't have a choice in that. The only choice you have is which channel you're going to zero in on. We were coming back from Ohio last week. David and I were sitting there. This guy crossed the aisle from us on the airplane. 22,000 feet up in the air. Had one of those Sony watchmen watching television. Now, that was pretty amazing to me. Here we were, 25,000 feet up over, over somewhere. I don't even know where. And he was watching television on a Sony watchman television, just as plain and clear as a bell. And I said to David, you know, it's pretty amazing that right here in this airplane, 25,000 feet above the earth, there are these pictures. And you just got to zero in and get them. You got to have something to catch them. Let me tell you something. God indwells you in order he might talk to you and all you need to do is to learn how to tune in on his channel. If you're going to seek the Lord, you've got to be silent. Now, why is it so important? Now, watch this. Stay awake for this. 
Why is it so important that we learn how to be silent and hear God? Well, there's several reasons. One is because when you learn how to hear the Lord, when you tune in on God, it, something happens to your self-image. Now watch this. The people that I know who are having problem with the matter of faith are people who don't know how to trust anything. And the reason why they don't trust anything or anybody is because they have a poor self-image. You know what the first thing the Holy Spirit's going to say when He comes inside of you? The Bible tells us the first thing the Holy Spirit cries when He comes inside of you is Abba, Father. It's a term of endearing affection. It's like Dada, really. So that you have the Holy Spirit inside of you crying out to God in a term of endearing affection. You know what that means? It means that you discover for the first time from the inside, experientially, a father that you can love. And I want, to, I want you to know this, that 90% of what God will say to you will be affirmative, will be affirmative, encouraging. It's important to know how to hear the Lord because that's the way you have fellowship with God. There's nothing any more boring than a one-way conversation. I think we say, well, you know, I've learned how to pray. And, we, and, and, and this is what we call prayer is that we spend 15 minutes talking to God, just, you know, saying stuff to God. There's nothing any more than boring in a one-way conversation. Let me tell you about my one and only blind date. I had a friend, it's in the past tense for sure, I had a friend. After that date, he was no longer a friend. He, he asked me to go out with his cousin, and her name was Rufus. Now let me tell you something. When, when you have a blind date with a girl named Rufus, that ought to be a, enough clue right there. And Rufus was her name, true story. She was named after her grandfather. Her name was Rufus Elaine. <laughs> Some of you made a face. That's just what I did when I first saw Rufus. And I tell you, she was a zero personality. Now, let me tell you, the hardest work I have ever done in my life was to try to spend three hours in conversation with Rufus Elaine. I mean, after hello, you know, how are you? <laughs> yes. Where are you from and what grade you're in at school? It was labor from then on. I worked at it hard trying to find some way to carry on a conversation. There is nothing any more boring than a one-way conversation. Now, let me tell you something. You have not prayed just because you spent 15 minutes telling God what you want. Have you, have you ever developed the art or the ability to get silent and let God speak to you? And I'm dealing with a situation in my own life right now, and I'm having to find some guidance from God. And this morning as I was getting ready for church, I was just kind of praying just, you know, in my closet. I said, Lord, what do you want me to do about this? I need to hear from you. You know what he said? Right to my mind. I didn't see any visions. I didn't hear any loud voices. He just said to my mind, to my thoughts, he said, I want you to wait on me just like you're going to preach about this morning. I tell you, so it, the most exciting thing that can happen is when you meet the Lord. And when you meet him is when you're able to hear from him. 
Not only is it important because of fellowship, it's important because of guidance. Isaiah said, And your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, Go to the right or to the left. This is the way, walk in it. It's essential for the interpretation of Scripture and for prayer. I don't have time to deal with that. Seek the Lord earnestly. Be still, be silent, be submissive. Now watch. I've said this before. It's worth, it's, it's worth saying again. You're never going to learn any new things about God until you're obedient to what you already know. Now you can pray all day long and you can ask God for guidance all day long concerning matters that are of direct, deep need in your life. But you're going to get no more guidance than if you're not obedient to what you already know. For the condition of additional guidance is obedience to the present information. One last thought, please. We're to seek the Lord exclusively. We're to seek the Lord earnestly, still silent, submissive. We're to seek the Lord expectantly. Now, I've got the authority of God to tell you this. If you seek the Lord earnestly and exclusively, He will be found. He will be found. You can expect that. You can count on it. Because God always meets us at the level of our expectations. Now, you may not get everything you expect. I've prayed to God expecting some things and didn't get them because I'm not the best uh, judge of what I really need. But let me tell you something. You're not going to get anything that you don't expect because God meets us at the level of our expectations. If you came here this morning expecting this sermon to be boring, it is. I'm sorry. It's not all my fault. If you expect every politician to be corrupt, he will be. If you expect when you read the newspaper this morning to get all bad news, that's what you'll find because you always live at the level of your expectation. Let me, let me tell you something. The net determines the catch. The hook determines the catch. I know that for a fact. I used to go fishing with my granddad. Go up here to Lake Camp up by Seymour, Texas. And they fish for these big old gigantic carp Huge things. And buffalo, these sucker fish. That's how they, my, my granddad and his cohorts, about four old timers and, and, and me. And, and they'd go out there and they'd have these huge hooks. And they were, they were three-pronged hooks and they used dough bait. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And they'd, they'd have these long cane poles with these gigantic carks that they made from hand. And they'd get out on these pontoons and they'd, throw these big old lines out there, these gigantic carks, huge hooks, and go after those big carp. And he'd give me a little old bitty cane pole with a hook about that big. And he'd say, now there's a lot of little brim, you know, that's what he'd say every time. He'd say, there's a lot of little brim that float around and swim around in here. He said, uh, you, you, you get over there and fish for them. And I never did understand why that my granddad fished for those big fish and caught them, and he put me over there hooking, trying to hook those little old brim. And I, I, I know this. I know that I probably, you know, might not have caught any of those big old carp with them big old hooks and big old carks and big old line and big old poles. I might not have caught one, but I might have. But I can tell you what for sure. 
I wasn't going to catch any of them with that little old bitty hook. I promise you that. Let me tell you what. I live by the firm conviction that God wants to be found. That he is a rewarder. And he just has this treasure of his blessing. He just wants to open up. That's what he said. In fact, the Bible says that God wants to give you more than you even want. He just eagerly waits to give. That's his nature. And the only reason that he hasn't been able to do that is because we've been coming to him with little old bitty hooks. And we've been coming to him with no expectation. We pray for rain and never carry an umbrella. We ask for healing and never expect it to happen. We come to the service of God saying, I'm going to meet the Lord there. It would scare us to death if we did. I heard about this priest one day who came down to the altar. And he said, Lord, and the Lord said, yes, and he fainted. I mean, he, you know, the Lord to, Lord to answer back, scare him to death. And I want you to believe with me this morning that he is anxious to reward. Believing that he is is believing that he can. Believing that he is a rewarder is believing that he will. And for some of us, it's been a long, long time since we've seen God do anything in our life. Isn't that truth? Isn't that truth? For some of us, it's been a long time since God did anything in our life. Down there in Texas, we have what we had. <laughs> I'll hear from Mike Ransom now. I know he's, he's always getting on me about talking about Texas. <laughs> Down there in Texas, we had Ms. Baird's bread. You ever, you ever had any of that? You ever bought any of that? Now, Ms. Baird's bread was really Mrs. Baird's bread. My brother-in-law works for Ms. Baird's bread company. There was a time when Mrs. Baird's bread was Mrs. Baird's bread. She baked it and her kids got in little wagons, you know, and hauled it down the street and sold it to the neighbors. That's a big time operation. And those little boys that sold Mrs. Baird's bread are now old men. They're older than I am. And they have a big operation. And they still have that bread. It's got Mrs. Baird's name on it. It's a little blue ribbon on that bread sack. Mrs. Baird's bread, but it isn't. That's not Mrs. Baird's bread. She's dead. She's baking that bread. We're all in, we're all in for a surprise. <laughs> that's not, <laughs> that's not Mrs. Baird's bread. What that is, is somebody else's bread. Somebody else's bread. Just got her name on it. You listen, just got her name on it. Now you come into this church Sunday after Sunday and you've got, your, you've got the Lord's name on your life. But you know as well as I know that God's not doing anything in your life. You haven't heard from God in years. And there's no evidence that God's doing one thing. You got the name. That's about it.
I'm looking right out now at people who know exactly what I'm talking about. But I'm also here to assure you that he wants to be real to you. Let's pray together. Father, on our way in a search of faith, we've confronted something that bothers us. That's the fact that in our quest for faith, we've not even realized we've got to first meet the Lord. Meet the Lord. To cease striving, to be silent, to be submissive, and thus meet the Lord. And God, I pray for an expectancy now, an anticipation that you will be found. That you'll make yourself known and real to us who seek you. And in seeking you, find you. Bless this time of invitation, Lord, for Jesus' sake. Now look right here, please. If you'll ask the Lord what He wants you to do and you are submissive as you ask, He'll let you know. Would you ask Him right now, Lord, what do you want me to do right now as it relates to this invitation? You want me to join that church? You want me to confess that sin, repent of it? You want me to come and confess my lostness? Would you do that in your heart? He's there so He can tell you, talk to you. Would you do it? And then would you be willing to publicly declare the decision that you're making on the basis of what He told you? Would you be willing to do that while we stand to sing?